0: And after you are seated, go ahead and take your Bible. And let's open together to the book of Hosea. This evening, we will be uh, looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 of Hosea's prophecy. let's read together this is Hosea chapter 2 remember having Jesus always offers joy Hosea Joel Amos Obadiah and Jonah you'll get that if you find Daniel keep going to the right just a little bit beginning with verse 1 say to your brothers you are my people and to your sisters you have received mercy plead with your mother plead for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore She she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge her up with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bale. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness, Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she, returned, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Our Lord in heaven, we ask now that you would grant your blessing to your word. Strengthen us, Father, by it. Strengthen our convictions Enable us, Lord, to walk with you until our very last day, to maintain our faithfulness. Lord, we can do nothing apart from you, and we admit that now. And ask, O Lord, that you would strengthen every good thing in us, especially the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name and for the sake of his glory. Amen. One of the great ironies in the Old Testament, one of the great ironies of Scripture is the life of Solomon. You remember that he was the son of David and Bathsheba, and God poured out upon him great blessings. We remember that it was God who gave to him his wisdom in that moment that he prayed, and the Lord said, "'Ask of me, and I will give you your wish,' and Solomon asked him for wisdom." And then that remarkable moment when Solomon's wisdom was put on display when the, the two women fighting over the young child came to him and he said, well, cut the child in half. And, and he granted the child to his true mother. And then God gave him wealth beyond imagination and he built the glorious temple of God and gold in, this, in, in the city of Solomon became as pavement, and Solomon, at the dedication of the temple, prayed that extraordinary prayer of dedication. Um, uh, anointing the, the temple of God and, and setting it apart for its designated purpose. And then we get to 1 Kings chapter 12. And Solomon's heart, in, it, seemingly in a moment, was turned away from the Lord. How? Because he had given himself to foreign wives, wives upon wives upon wives. He dedicated himself to them and turned aside from the Lord. His heart, it seems like in a moment, this whole lifetime had been built up. heard probably tales of his own father's unfaithfulness to the Lord, and then suddenly Solomon's own heart was turned away. He became confident, it seemed, riding on the heights of his kingdom, experiencing all of the blessings of the Lord, and then suddenly, without warning, it seems, turning to pagan gods. What an irony it was. Well, it is an irony that you and I are susceptible to as well. But one that we need to pay attention to, to, to look at the life of Solomon and say, you know what, I'm susceptible to that same thing. I need to devote myself to faithfulness to the Lord so that I never ever wander astray from Him and pray to Him, asking Him perhaps for specific things in my life to keep me from going astray. When we get to this chapter in Hosea, we see that God is, is chastising a people who are wandering from Him, who have wandered from Him. The first thing that we ought to think about as we... Uh, get into this second chapter, we see the words here in in verse 1 which are are really perhaps going with the last part of chapter 1. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Here, uh, the words of Hosea, uh, we immediately think of of God as the one who is speaking and Israel as the subject. But that's the, the, the surface idea here is that this is Hosea speaking to his own family. His own people, say to your brothers, you are my people and to your sisters, you have received mercy. And as we get into this in verse 2 where he says, "Uh, plead with your mother, plead for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. We think, are these God's words to Israel or are they they Hosea's words to Gomer? Why do we think that? Well, because as we think of the context from chapter 1, what has happened God had called upon Hosea to go into the land of Israel to find an adulterous woman and to marry her, telling him that she's going to be unfaithful to you, Hosea. Well, this in chapter 2 fast forwards a little bit in time, and what do we find? Well, indeed, this woman has been unfaithful to Hosea. Hosea had taken a wife who was accustomed to harlotry, and she returned to that lifestyle, breaking his heart. It pulls at our heartstrings too, doesn't it? Because we can sense Hosea's mixture of anger and of grief. He's been betrayed This woman that he took into his own home in order to do what? To provide for her, to protect her, to give her fine things, to lavish his love upon her, to to maintain covenant faithfulness with this one woman his whole life. And how does she repay him? By sharing herself with other men in the city. Perhaps men that he So we we can relate to Hosea in this as he's pleading with this woman, come back to me. Come back. We can, in that way, through God's imminent, infinite wisdom, God enables us to see from His perspective how He looks upon the unfaithfulness of His people. How He looks upon you when you begin to wander away from him he as it were expressing in human emotion laments then in this way the grief of god as it were becomes ours when we recognize it as a picture of israel's unfaithfulness to her lord and notice first of all in verses 2 to 5 the decree of divorce the decree of divorce. Plead with your mother. Plead. For she is my, not my wife, and I am not her husband. Plead that she put away her whoring from be- her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Literally, uh, there's this emphasis here on pleading. Plead with your mother. It said twice. Plead with her. So we notice that Hosea here is addressing his children. Remember that he had The three children. He's he's telling his children, go and plead with your mother. Ask her to return. Ask her to repent. The language here, the word plead, might also be translated contend, uh, confront. Perhaps the picture is a courtroom. And a charge is being brought against Gomer. Gomer. I'm bringing my case before the judge and I am declaring before the judge she's not my wife and I am not her husband. One commentator notes that that what we are observing here is a speech, specifically a speech related to a lawsuit which is spoken in court in complaint concerning the person against whom the suit is brought. Apparently, Gomer won't listen to the pleading of her own husband. But perhaps we can picture uh, 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 Hosea himself having gone to her, having tried to beckon her to, to return. Put away this lifestyle from yourself and return to me. Enjoy uh, the protection, the security, and the provision that I have given you. And she won't listen. Therefore, the children the children are sent to touch the heart To say, mother is in the wrong and father is seeking every means possible to bring reason to bear upon her. Well, we have to think at this point, what what exactly are her unfaithful ways? What is going on here? And that's why we discover that she's returned to this unfaithful lifestyle. She is, in the picture here in verse 2, she's even clothing herself in an unchaste fashion. Put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. She's she's even clothing herself the way that a harlot would and wandering through the town, perhaps sharing a vision of herself with all of the men who will look upon her. Not only that, she has... She's clothing herself in idolatry, clothing herself in adultery, serving then, as we transition our thoughts to Israel, other gods. And what does God say about her? She's not my wife, and I'm not her husband. This may be a decree of divorce, as some consider it to be. Perhaps this is a courtroom scene. And the the judge is standing there, and and this is the decree. I am not her husband. She's not my wife. But at the very least, even if this is not an official decree of divorce, we can say that even if an official divorce doesn't exist, one exists in principle. Here is a woman who has violated the one flesh union that God has intended for marriage. And what does this represent for us? well it represents the idolatry of israel turn with me if you would to first kings chapter 12 first kings chapter 12 <clears throat> from the moment that the kingdom was divided into two Israel got off to a horrible start. Their king was a man by the name of Jeroboam. And and just to let you know a little bit about Jeroboam, if you were ever called by his name later on in Israel, it signified that you were an unfaithful man. Notice with me what happens in 1 Kings chapter 12, picking up in verse 25. The first thing that Jeroboam does in his newly inherited kingdom of ten tribes. Uh, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and he built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. He wants power. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel." "...who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and he set set one in Bethel, and he set the other in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites." And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel. You see the repetition, he had made, he had made, he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings." So here we have in Israel an illustration of the idolatry that's going on. As far as Dan in the north to uh, the southern city of Bethel, in both locations, uh, um, Jeroboam had placed these golden calves for the people to commit their idolatry. And do you remember the purpose? You've gone up to Jerusalem long enough As we return to Hosea, we see this picture of what God is talking about. What's the idolatry? What is the whoredom that his wife, the Israel, is committing against him? Well, they've given themselves to other gods, but notice in verse 4, not only that. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. This This is the question, isn't it? Anytime there is unfaithfulness in a marriage and there's a child born, the question that's going to exist in the mind of uh, perhaps the one who's been sinned against is, is this child really mine? And you notice that the Lord indicts Israel, are your children really mine? And here our, our, our thoughts are taken back to God's covenant with His people. That as long as they are faithful to train up their children in the ways of the Lord, that their children would be His children. He gives them promises I will be their God. You don't have to worry about them. Apply yourself to training your children faithfully, and I will be their God. But here's the situation they've left their God. They've given themselves to idolatry. And who is affected by this? Their children. Are your children really mine? No. Not only are you committing idolatry, but you're training your children to do the same. And lastly, in verse 5, we see she convinced herself her provision came from those other gods. For their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Everything that I need for life comes from where? Those other gods. This was Israel's situation. You see, they're trading with all of these other kingdoms, uh, giving money in exchange for goods. And what are they doing in exchange? They are worshiping the gods from which those goods come, saying, they give us our goods what is Hosea doing with Gomer? Pleading. Pleading. Contending. Do the right thing. Return to faithfulness. And though these are the words of Hosea, you and I ought to see the face of Christ looking at us in this moment. As we think of the unfaithfulness of Israel, God's covenant people, this should cause us to stop and think of the faithfulness of the church. Are we walking in faithfulness with our husband? Are we? How do you know? Are we applying ourselves to His Word, thinking about His covenant, thinking about the stipulations of that covenant and considering them? Christ is our husband. The one who has drawn you and me with the bands of love and the one who provides every good thing for us who protects us and provides for us. Are we being faithful to him? Or are we playing the harlot? So many churches have been lured away, haven't they? It is sad to survey the American landscape and look at what is going on in what calls itself the Church of Jesus Christ. And you wonder if the name of Christ is ever mentioned in some of these churches. They are lured away from faithfulness to the Lord by one thing, it seems. The desire to grow. They became come exactly like Jeroboam. He had made. Everything is about what he had made. He had made. He had made. For his own power and for his own name. In churches, worship becomes man-centered. Evangelism becomes man-centered. Preaching becomes man-centered until finally... All the church does is focus on the glory of man instead of the glory of God. That is the temptation for us. And Christ, in the face, we we see in Hosea's words the face of Christ pleading with us to remain faithful to his covenant. There was some of this man centeredness I noticed, even in a debate that we're having within our own denomination. As we're considering, but whether or not we should permit uh, same-sex attracted men to fill the pulpits of our churches. Should we do that? And and our overtures were saying, no, we ought not do that. And there were men, sincere men in these debates, who s- would stand up and say, But how are other people going to look at us? Well, dear friend, who are you considering? Are we a man-centered denomination or a God-centered denomination? Therefore, pray that as far as New Covenant goes, that the Lord would keep us from that. That he would keep us in faithfulness to himself, always considering our practices if we are faithful to Christ. But notice, secondly, after the decree of divorce, we see the consequence of refusing to repent in verses 6 and 7. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. We notice here that this is the first uh, speech of judgment that God uh, declares against his people and notice what he does in response to their sinfulness. I will hedge up her way with thorns. So you think about <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> uh, the people on their path to the temple, or their people on the path to, uh, to worship one of these idols. They've they've literally cut a path, and God is saying, I am going to hedge that in. I'm not going to permit you to go and worship your false gods. He is going to, in other words, induce Blindness upon them, so that they won't be able to find their way. There's a similar term in Job chapter 19, verse 8. God, uh, Job there is is trying to argue that, look, I'm a just man. I, I don't know what my sin is, and he says there of the Lord, he has walled up my way, so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. You see. How is the Lord exercising His power in His idolatrous wife? Well, He's bringing a spiritual blindness upon her, uh, preventing her even from being able to worship her false gods. But notice the second thing that He does. Not only does He induce blindness, in verse 7, He causes her not to be able to find pleasure in her sin. Notice what he says, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. This is the picture you think of a dog that you put uh, a collar and a leash and you, 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 you put a lead on and you attach it to some stake in the ground, but the dog still is pulling and pulling and pulling and trying to get away. This is a picture of Israel. God has induced this blindness upon them. He's put a collar on to keep them from sinning and they are tearing up the ground, trying to get at their lovers, trying to get to their false gods but he prevents them. And as we think about God's mercies, here is one of the mercies that you and I should think about. God is merciful to you when he takes the pleasure out of sin. After David sinned with Bathsheba, God disciplined him and And Psalm 51, one of the repeated phrases in that psalm is that David David asked the Lord to restore joy to me. He is looking up to the Lord. Father, please restore to me the joy of your salvation. He says it over and over. Give me my joy back. Even in his sin. One of the mercies that God showed to David is that he took the joy out of that sin. He took the pleasure out of it. And so one of the things that you and I ought to ask the Lord to do for us in mercy, Lord, do not let me find any pleasure in sinning against you. You think of a little child who goes up against his parents' will and says, they tell him, well, you're not allowed to have a cookie right now. And the child goes up and he sneaks a cookie out of the cookie jar anyway. It will be a mercy from the Lord if he bites down on that cookie and breaks a tooth on a walnut. And he learns that sin is not pleasurable. That's a mercy. Father, we ought to pray, don't let me find any any pleasure in sinning against you. Don't let me find one ounce of pleasure in turning my back to you. Wouldn't that be a mercy? If every time you you sought to do something against the Lord's will, if He took the pleasure out of it. And that's what we're really trying to do. Think about this morning. We were considering the put-offs and the put-ons of of dealing with anxiety in our own lives. Well, you consider this: that that one of the things we're doing with reference to lust. You, you think of a man maybe who is who who has a, a pornography addiction, if we call it that in his own life. Well, the, the objective is not just to remove pornography from his life. The real objective for that man is that he would get to the point that he hates the sin of adultery. He hates it with the same passion that God does, that there's not even a pleasure in looking upon a woman with lust in his heart. He hates it. God completely removes the pleasure from sin. That's what we're asking Him to do. Lord, let me only find pleasure when I am walking steadfastly in Your ways. Thirdly, lastly, we see the consequence of refusing mercy. Pick up with me at the middle of verse 7 there. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. God in His mercy is restraining sin. He's cutting off her paths, keeping her from sinning against her. Him, one of the the experiences that they have is there's a momentary, pragmatic repentance. You notice that. I will go, and I will return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. This happened in the life of Israel. Remember that last Sunday we read in the life of Jehu that he wiped out the family of Ahab. But what did he do after that? The Scripture tells us that he returned and walked in the paths of his fathers. There was a period of time where he wiped out the bales, but not all of them. Perhaps this is a reflection on that time in Jehu's life. She returned, but not all the way. Their momentary faithfulness was destroyed by forgetfulness. Notice what God does in response. I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season and I will take away my wool and my flax which were to cover her nakedness. I will deprive her of harvest. In verse 10, I will expose her shame upon her. In verses 11 and 12, I will remove the joy of her idolatry. What's happening in these verses is God is bringing all of the curses of the covenant to bear upon His unfaithful bride. I'm not going to bless your harvest. I'm not going to bless your seed time. I'm going to take away everything from you that gives you joy instead of me. And in verse 13, I will punish her for her her idolatry. And notice the stark words that conclude that, that, that verse. Did you notice it when we read through it? Let's read the verse. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, Remember that Jeroboam had set up when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. You know, Alzheimer's and dementia can be a very painful thing for those who witness someone else going through it. Why why is it so painful? Well, because... You go to a loved one who once knew you, who once shared a relationship with you, who once cared about you, and now can't even remember your name. It's painful. But we see Israel is not affected by a disease of the mind. Israel intentionally forgot God's ways and went after other gods. In in spite of this fact, that over and over and over again, God warned them this would happen. Consider a few verses. Deuteronomy 4.9 Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Deuteronomy six ten to 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill. You, you get this picture, right, of a, of a young man, a husband who has prepared a place for his young bride to come in and to live with him and to have joy with him and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards, and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Deuteronomy 8.11 Take care lest you forget. You're getting the theme here. The Lord your God, by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, Brothers and sisters, we're reminded from all of this that there's a very great danger of forgetting. You and I have to remember to take care, to guard our souls diligently lest we forget the Lord. But in the midst of the declarations of punishment, don't forget this fact. God's motivation in all of this is to draw His people back to Himself. In everything that He took away from Israel, all of this work of judgment, of discipline, His work, His desire is to draw them back, to push them back. His aim is not merely to make her know His anger. He did not punish Israel for punishment's sake. This is not just, I, I need to, to let off some steam and say, so I'm going to do it on your back. He is not only interested in a show of hostility in order to gain control. God, through all of this, is showing His love to His people by taking away the pleasure of sin, taking away the pleasures of life, showing them the covenant curses, showing them that even if they have forgotten, He remembers. And this, on God's part, is an act of love. Remember, The father who withholds discipline from his son, what? Hates his son. You and I, as we look at this, ought to be reminded that we need to hone our definition of love. This is a display of love, not of hatred. For the wicked, love means doing all you can to avoid hurting other feelings, and mercy becomes a form of sinful indulgence. This is not love of others, this is love of self. God, in His perfect love, allows His bride to feel the consequences of her sinful choices so she may feel the pain of them and return to the place of protection and provision. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at the weakness of Israel, the church under age we are reminded that we are afflicted by the same sinful desires that they had. Father, we are also tempted to forget You, to forget all of the blessings that You have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, to forget the pardon that You've purchased for us, to forget the liberty that You have purchased for us, and to submit ourselves again to dead idols. Lord, we ask You, show us the things that seek to take us away. Keep us from finding pleasure in sin. And Lord, help us to delight only in the protection and the provision that is given by you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.